the teaching of God's Word. I titled this, as I said, Rise Up, O Lord, looking at Numbers chapters 8 through 10. And uh, I titled chapter 8, Be Cleansed to Serve. And a key verse that I pulled out of here is verse 6. Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. And so we find that First of all, we look at the menorah in verses 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. So Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded him. Now this workmanship of the lamps was hammered gold, From its shaft to its flowers, it was hammered work. According to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstands. So Aaron didn't make the lampstands. We had goldsmiths who were involved with that. We learned all about that in Exodus, in the book of Exodus. But we've done Exodus, Leviticus, now in Numbers. So really just coming back to some of the stuff that we learned already in Exodus, but now we learn something new, that the lamps were capable of being directional, and they were to cast their light forward, cast their light forward in such a way when a priest came into the holy place of the temple, the light would cast on the table of showbread and the 12 loaves of bread that was across from the menorah. Just consider the width of the temple tabernacle, I should say, was only 15 feet. So it's not a very large space that they were going into. But the lamps, and we looked at the menorah, one lamp they theorized always burned. They always kept one lamp burning, that the lamp would continually burn before the altar of the Lord, even where, I don't know how the priests did it, but that there would always be light, even when they would tend the wicks and give new oil to replenish the supply One lamp always burned, but these lamps also were capable of direction and they were to shine across the holy place toward the table of showbread. And all these things were done according to the pattern that God showed Moses there on Mount Sinai. In Hebrews 8, 5, it tells us concerning the tabernacle, it served as a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for God said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And this is what Moses did. So we move on to that ordination process of the Levites. And we read in verses 5 through 12. I'm just going to read a lot of scripture for you tonight. And we'll see what the word of God says and how much I add to it on top of that. But beginning in verse 5, we're going to go down to verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel, cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purification on them. Let them shave all their body. Let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bull with its grain offering and fine flour mixed with oil. And you shall take another young bull as a sin offering. And you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting. You shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel 
So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Now these numbers are just kind of clicking around in my head. Earlier today I was concentrating on the 22,000 Levites who were old enough to serve at the temple at that time. So that's just a lot of people. And now you have all the children of Israel, some 2 million people, coming and bringing the Levites before the children of Israel that they lay their hands on the Levites. So first of all, you have the children of Israel laying their hands on the Levites that the Levites would become representatives of the rest of the nation. And verse 11, Aaron shall take the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of young bulls and you shall offer one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. So again, big numbers here and they could have taken their time, no doubt. I don't know if all 22,000 Levites went by one by one to lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, if all the people are just representatives from the tribal leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel laying the hands on representatives of the tribe of the Levites there. We don't know. It's just kind of taking the whole They're all being represented before the Lord. But in this, even if they did use representatives, all the Levites had to wash. They all had to shave. They all had to go through this process. In verse 13, I said we're going to read a lot through 22. Then you shall take the Levites before Aaron and his sons and offer them as a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. After the Levites shall go into the service of the tabernacle of meeting. So you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of the children of Israel. So the Levites became the substitute for the firstborn in Israel. God said, I'm taking the Levites. They are mine. Verse 17, for all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. And I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. Verse 19, and I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. Verses 20 and 20 through 22. Thus Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So the children of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves, washed their clothes, and Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord. I like they, they keep putting the like the wave offering. It'd be hard to wave 22,000 men before the Lord. So like a wave offering, maybe they did one of those concert things where everybody kind of waved back and forth. I don't know. 
But, you know, there's a difference. The wave offering is a literal back and forth. A heave offering was the hands going up and down, wave offering to the left and right. So Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. After that, the Levites went in to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. So it's often taught that God chose the Levites because during the rebellion at the golden calf, that the Levites were the ones who stood with the Lord. Moses would say, who's on the Lord's side? And it was the Levites who stood up. And that's true. Except that took place in Exodus 33, 32, actually, the golden calf. And in Exodus 28, God had already chosen the Arianic priesthood before the golden calf. He'd already chosen Aaron and his sons and Aaron and his sons being part of the tribe of Levi. It could be that it better fits that God had singled out the tribe of Levi because of Jacob's prophecy over his rebellious sons, Simeon and Levi, saying in Genesis 39:7, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, and basically Simeon would be absorbed into the tribe of Judah. They had their inheritance within the boundaries of the tribe of Judah, and they ultimately would be absorbed into that tribe. And the Levites would be scattered throughout all the tribes as they served the Lord and the priest there at the tabernacle or temple. So the cleansing process began with the Levites being sprinkled with the water of purification, shaving their bodies, washing their clothes. They were brought before the whole congregation of Israel. They were offered as a, a wave offering before the Lord. As the children of Israel put their hands on the Levites, and that could happen. That would be pretty simple. We did on Monday night. Uh, a few of the candidates stood and people put hands on them to pray. And so we could see a very similar thing here where you have 22,000 Levites kind of spread out, people coming all around them, putting their hands upon them. But the action of the people putting their hands upon the Levites was signifying that the Levites now represented them before God. The transfer, just as the Levites put their hands on the two bulls that were offered there, it was a transfer onto the bulls from the people of Israel to transfer it onto the uh, Levites and then the Levites transferring their sin and putting the hands on the head of the bull. And uh, that Hebrew word for putting a hand on the head of an animal, it, it actually means to press down. So it's just not like patting the head of the bull. You're like pressing in. So the Levites identified themselves with the bulls by laying their hands on the bull's head, pressing in their hands, considering that there were 22,000, as I said, maybe representatives. Maybe they all did it. They had time. They've been hanging out in the wilderness for a year almost at this point. So where else? Should, they hadn't moved for quite a while. What else you got to do? So 23 through 26, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is what pertains to the Levites from 25 years old and above. One may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting at the age of 50 years. 
They must cease performing this work and shall work no more. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall do for the Levites regarding their duties. So their ordination process, they were ordained then to serve Aaron from the ages of 25 to 50 years old. They all had specific jobs when they entered into the service of the tabernacle. Once they hit the age of 50, they were done. They retired. Um, they could help. They could assist. But that lead role had to be set aside for our younger man. And I think this is just wonderful. I mean, if I would go by this in the church today, um, I should have retired 12 years ago. So I don't think that's too wonderful. Maybe I, I, I just envisioned that I'd need something to do. So I'm still thinking I need stuff to do. But what I love about this is that they were raising up a new generation of leaders. And that's what we need to be doing as well. Even those of us like myself getting older, raising up a new generation to come up after. If the Lord should tarry, that the work would continue even if I'm not around. So this caused me to think also about believers being redeemed to serve the Lord in the world. First, we must be sprinkled, not by the water of purification, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. First uh, Peter 1, 2 tells us that by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we are made clean. We also have to be washed. And this reminds me of... Jesus, first of all, when he washed the disciples' feet in John 13, uh, Peter said, not my feet, Lord. See, washing of the feet, that was the duty of the lowest slave in the house. And uh, apparently none of the disciples wanted to take that role because they all sat down for supper with dirty feet. And Jesus rose up, stripped himself of his garment, put a cloth around his waist and began to wash his disciples' feet. And Peter rebelled against this, saying, Not so, Lord. Wash my head and my hands. And, and the Lord said, If I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And then, you know, Peter's like, Do it all, Lord. Give me a, a good bath here. Wash me up. But in this world... We live, we work, we walk in this world. We get dirty and on a daily basis. We need to be in the word. Ephesians 5.26, that he may wash them by the water of his word. And through the daily cleansing of the word of God, we're able to be washed. So first of all, the washing must be salvation in Jesus Christ. But secondly, as believers, we have to continually bathe ourselves in the word of God that we might be clean and be sanctified. So Hebrews 10:22 backs this up. Let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, having sprinkled our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Ephesians 5:26 that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water by the word, by the word. That's why, and you guys seen my Bible cover? Close up. <laughs> we have cameras. The cleansing word. So years ago, this is a 
I bought this Bible in 1992, 93 probably, so it's going on 30 years old. It has its third cover on it now, and uh, my second cover, it's like, I'm going to name my Bible the cleansing word. So that's what I did. Not sacrilege, but that's how I view it in a washing of the water of the word. Chapter 9, being led by God. So a key verse, verse 23, at the command of the Lord, they, they remained in camps. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. And they kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So the ninth chapter in the book of Numbers marks the first anniversary of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. They were to commemorate this occasion by observing the Passover for the second time, a remembrance of the night when the Lord passed over their households, sparing the firstborn within their households, because the blood was painted on the lintel and the doorpost of their house. But death on that same night came to all the Egyptians. Wherever there was no blood, death came into that house. But where there was blood, the destroyer passed over that house. So this night brought Israel freedom by the blood of the Lamb. And one year later, the Lord reminded them, it's time to celebrate Passover. So verses 1 through 5, we find the second Passover celebration. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month, the month of Nisan, or Abib, both names are used in the Old Testament, but Nisan is the current name that we use today for the Jewish calendar. On the 14th day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it as an appointed time. According to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. We find that recurring theme from Exodus, Leviticus, here in Numbers. God commanded, the people did. God commanded, Moses did. Now we find at times, the people didn't always do. And sometimes Moses and Aaron didn't do. But that's how it should be. God commands, we obey, we follow. And the first Passover was introduced to us in Exodus chapter 12, where God gave Moses instructions for keeping the Passover and the reason why they were to put the blood of the lamb on the Passover, on the lentil and doorpost of their homes. And that reason found in Exodus 12, 12 and 13, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the sign, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So from that time forward, Israel's miraculous deliverance by the Lord was, is to be commemorated by the annual Passover celebration. This takes place 
uh, right around Easter time for us in the Christian church. And uh, because Jesus died in fulfillment of the Passover, he is the true Passover lamb. That's why it happens. When I was a kid, I was like, why do they always show the Moses movie at Easter time? I didn't understand. And I was, well, it makes sense because that's where it fits in history. But for them to observe this in Exodus 12:42, it is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children throughout their generations. So that very first Passover, God set it in play. You're going to remember this day throughout all your generations. And to this day, the children of Israel continue to keep the Passover. Well, we have a similarity in the Lord's communion commemoration of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that, on, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So at the first Passover, God told the children of Israel, throughout all your generations, I want you to remember this night. And there at the first communion supper, the Lord Jesus told his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, 1 Corinthians 11:25, Jesus also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, except for maybe Jehovah's Witness that might be listening to our radio station right now. Um, has the Lord returned yet? No. So we're still to be doing communion until he comes. But it's also a proclamation that the Lord is coming again. Every time we do communion, yes, we reflect upon his death and his blood, the body and the blood there at the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. But also it has us looking forward to the Lord's return. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we are actually making a proclamation that Jesus is coming again. So we need to view it uh, in two different lenses, one looking back to his work on the cross and number two looking forward to his coming again. So the Lord said, keep Passover, the month of Nisan, 14th day, all of children of Israel. Well, verses six through eight, there were some men who had been defiled by touching a dead body. So they came to Moses. Now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse, so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron in that day and said, those men said to them, we became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? And Moses said to them, stand still, that I may hear from the Lord what the Lord will command concerning you. 
So on that day, on the day of Passover, there were some men who had been defiled and they came to Moses and said, hey, what gives, man? We can't keep the Passover. We want to keep the Passover too. And Moses did a very good thing. He said, let me check with God on that. Sometimes pastors, church leaders want to have the instant answer. I think sometimes we just need to say, let me get back to you on that. Let me pray about that. Let me search the scripture on that. On this occasion, the men, they were defiled. According to Numbers 19.11, he who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean for seven days. So they couldn't change that. They obviously came in contact with a dead body. Nisan 14th came up, the day of Passover. And uh, they were somewhere in that seven-day period where they could not partake in this celebration. And so 9 through 13, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the children of Israel saying, if any one of you or your prosperity is unclean because of a corpse, you or your kids, your family, or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. They may keep it They may eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They may leave none of it until morning. They'll break none of its bones. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. So it sounds like for some families, this could be tough because if you were ceremonially clean, that's what we're talking about here, you're ceremonially clean on the 14th of Nisan, then you had to keep the Passover. But if you were unclean or on a journey, you could do it the following month. So those who were clean on the month of Nisan, even though the family got split up a little bit this way. They were responsible before the Lord personally to keep the Passover and the others could come a month later. One of the places in scripture, maybe the only place that we learn about a delayed Passover is in 2 Chronicles chapter 30 when Hezekiah did a cleansing of the temple and the Passover uh, was to be kept on the 14th day of the first month according to Leviticus 23.5, but the temple was not cleansed until the 16th day. So the temple wasn't ready. So they decided to keep the Passover according to the law one month later. But also the Ezra, the author of the Chronicles, Second uh, Chronicles 33, he gives us another reason why they had this delay in Second Chronicles 33, because a sufficient number of priests had not sanctified themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. So not all the people showed up. Hezekiah sent out words all over his kingdom and even in the northern kingdom of Israel, saying, if you want to keep the Passover, come on down. So people were still coming and the priests weren't ready yet. They had not sanctified themselves. They were not ceremonially clean to serve the Lord on the appointed Passover. So they did it one month later, and it was a great Passover celebration. 
So we get a bonus provision out of this in verse 14. And if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover, so the stranger wants to participate, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover, according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance, both for stranger and the native of the land. And so God made provision for those who were not of the children of Israel. They were not native. They were foreigners, but they wanted to participate Well, they had to participate just like all the other Israelis did. Exodus 12, God talked about it then. Exodus 12, 48 and 49. And when a stranger dwells among you and wants to keep the Passover of the Lord, let his males be circumcised. What? Yeah, that's what it says right there. So this was a big commitment for the strangers who dwelt among the children of Israel. Let his males be circumcised, then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as the native of the land. No uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for you, the native born, and for the stranger who dwells among you. Oh, the sufficiency of our Passover lamb. We're on the cross. Jesus Christ paid the price of our salvation once and for all. All we need to do now is to apply the blood on the doorpost and lintel of our hearts. For only Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Christ and Passover put together 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Truly, Christ, our Passover, was sanctified for us. So as we go on in chapter 9, we discover that Israel's going to get on the move. Finish out this chapter in verses 15 through 23, and I'll just read the context, and then we'll talk about it. But after a year of being parked at Mount Sinai, God says, you know what, guys, it's time to it's time to get going. So this has always taught me that we talk about the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel, and we think, you know, God never intended them to be in the wilderness for that long, and he did not. But he did intend them, intend for them to be in the wilderness for a little while, a little over a year. So it was appropriate. They needed the wilderness wanderings, although they weren't wandering around that first year, to get themselves set up as the children of God to understand how they were to conduct themselves. But now it was time to move. Verse 15. Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up and the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony from evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. And so it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance by fire by night. Verse 17, when the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud settled, the children of Israel would pitch their tents. Verse 18, at the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey at the command of the Lord, the They would camp as long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle. They remained in camp. Verse 19. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord. They did not journey. 
So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. According to the command of the Lord, they would journey. Verse 21. And so it was when the cloud remained from evening until morning. When the cloud was taken up in the morning, they would journey. Whether day or night, when the cloud was taken up, they would journey. 22. Whether it was... Two days, a month, a year, that cloud remained above the tabernacle. The children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. And finally, verse 23, the last verse of chapter 9. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So, the Shekinah glory cloud that descended upon the tabernacle when it was first set up by Moses and anointed by the priest, Aaron and Moses involved in that anointing process. And the Shekinah glory cloud came down and filled the tabernacle. Moses had to get out. He could not enter in. That took place in Exodus chapter 40 when they erected the tabernacle. And so from that time forward... Exodus 40:34 Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle Exodus 40:38 The cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys So thus far in the book of Numbers we've learned that Israel camped in an orderly fashion with the tabernacle at the center of their nation and I've often thought about how it must have been, maybe at night lying in the tent with the flame of fire of the Shekinah glory God cloud fired over the tabernacle, how you would see that glow in your camp, in your tent. You'd wake up every morning, all their tent doors faced toward the tabernacle, so they'd walk out, they'd see the cloud there. They always knew, they always knew that God was at the center of their camp. In our text, Yahweh was preparing his people to follow him uh, during their stay in the wilderness. And for a time, it was right for them to be in the wilderness. Right now, it was right for them to be in the wilderness. At Kadesh Barnea, that would all change. And that they'd roam around in the wilderness for 38 plus years because of their disobedience. But right now, God's preparing them to be obedient, to watch the Shekinah glory cloud. When it moved, they moved. When it settled down, they settled down. And we may, we don't have a visible cloud to direct us as believers today, but we do have God in our hearts. And Jesus had promised to never leave us nor forsake us all the days of our life. Therefore, we should become accustomed to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Jesus is our Lord. He's our master and we are his servants. So like Aladdin's genie in the bottle, make sure I get this right. Like Aladdin's genie in the bottle, we should ever say to Jesus, your wish is my command. Quite often, I think we try to convince Jesus that our wish is for him to command, but your wish is our command. 
Romans 8.14, For as many who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So chapter 10, following God. This goes right with chapter 9. They were preparing to move. And now we're going to learn two specific things about their journey. Key verses 35 and 36, the last two verses of this chapter. So it was whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee from before you. And when it rested, Moses said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. So first of all, we learn of two silver trumpets. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation, for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow, both of them, all the congregation shall gather to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Verse 4. But if you blow only one, the leaders, the heads of the division of Israel, shall gather to you. When you sound the advance... The camp that lie on the east shall begin their journey. Verse 6, when you sound the advance, the second time the camp that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. Verse 7, when you assemble, when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. And 8, the sons of Aaron and the priests shall blow the trumpets and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. Also, when you go to war, verse 9, in the land against the enemies who oppress you, then you shall sound the alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Verse 10, also in the day of your gladness, your appointed feast days, at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings, over your sacrifices of peace offerings. They shall be a memorial before, a memorial for you before God. I am the Lord your God. So two silver trumpets hammered out of silver, of course, used by the priests. The priests were the trumpeteers. When we were in Israel, Get my directions right. The temple would have been facing east. Uh, there's no temple there in Israel right now, but Temple Mount is still there. So on the temple facing east, the entry to the temple that is, or tabernacle, over on the southwest corner of Temple Mount was a stone that the Romans pitched over Temple Mount. It fell uh, some hundred or more feet, and it rests there today. They've excavated this stone on the so southern part of Temple Mount, the southwest corner. There is a stone that is called the Trumpeter's Stone. It's there today. That's where the priest stood to blow the trumpet, to sound the alarm. And like a military camp, you had two million people. They had to have order. Otherwise, they would have had complete chaos. And at this time, Israel was a theocracy. They were governed by God. And so the priests, as the ministers of God, were responsible for the direction of the people. And so it was a time for 
calling the people to go forward, calling the leaders in to have counsel, calling the men to go to war or a time of celebration. The trumpets were used, and no doubt they had specific things that were played that the people knew what they were supposed to do. So 11 through 28, I did kind of uh, condense this because it's a lot of reading. And so I'm not going to have us read through all of this, just a few of the verses, 11 through 28. But they were to have orderly travel. Now it came to pass, verses 11 through 13, on the 12th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of testimony. The children of Israel went out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Then the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So they were instructed on what to do. And suddenly one day they got up and the Shekinah glory cloud was up and moving. And they thought, oh, oh my, what do we... We, we got to get together here. We got to get going. And so the first standard of the camp of the children of Israel that was to set out was that of Judah. So again, I'll, I'll face the east where we're at right now. The tabernacle faced the east. The tribe of Judah encamped on the east side of the tabernacle. They were the first standard of the camp to go out along with their armies along with the tribe of the children of Issachar, Issachar and Zubalin. And so those three tribes were first to move out. Second, verse 17, the tabernacle was taken down, the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merai set out carrying the tabernacle. So the Gershonites were responsible for all the coverings. We learned about this in Numbers 4. All the coverings, the ropes, uh, the coverings of the tabernacle, the outer court, and the Merorites, uh, they were responsible for the framing of the tabernacle, the metal bases, the sockets, the ropes, the pegs. And so they set out second. And there's a reason for this. We'll learn it in verse 21. Third, it was the standard of the camp of Reuben that they set out on their journey according to their armies according to verses 18 through 20. And they went out with the tribe of Simeon and also of Gad. The fourth to set out was the Kohathites. They set out, verse 21, carrying the holy things. The tabernacle then would be prepared for their arrival. So the Merorites and the Gershonites went out that they could set up camp and have it ready when the Kohathites came in, the holy things could be put in their proper place upon arrival. So the fifth standard that was to move out was the children of Ephraim, according to their armies, along with Manasseh and Benjamin. And finally, and there was followed up, lastly, the children of Dan, the rear guard of all the camps, set out according to their armies. So Dan is their head, and the children of Asher and Naphtali, or Naphtali, following afterwards. Verse 28, thus was the order of the march of the children of Israel, according to their armies, when they began their journeys. So they would always go out in this fashion. So here we have uh, 29 
through 32, Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, or Jethro, the Midianite, so Ruel, as it's written here, Moses' father-in-law. So Hodab then was Moses' brother-in-law. So Moses said to his brother-in-law, Hobab, we're setting out for the place which the Lord said, I will give you. Come with us and we will treat you well. For the Lord has promised us good things to Israel. And he said to him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. So Moses said, please do not leave. Inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness, you can be our eyes. And it shall be, if you go with us, indeed, it shall be that whatever good the Lord will do for us, the same we will do to you. So his brother-in-law, Hobab, initially he said, no, I'm going home. That's fine. Thanks for the offer, Moses, but I'm heading back home. And Moses kind of insisted. He said, look, please. He wanted him because we're going to be in the wilderness and you're desert wise. You're someone who grew up in the wilderness. And so he said, you can be our eyes and ears. You can really help us out if you go along with us. It does appear that he did. Because in Judges chapter 1, verse 16, we find the children of the Kenites, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of the Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. So it does appear that he traveled. And we find it mentioned again in Judges 4.11. Now, Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hodab, Hobab, not Dab, Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. Now here's something that has, wait, you told me he was his brother-in-law. Well, that's because in chapter 10, it said as his brother-in-law. And here in Judges 4.11, it's translated as Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. The root Hebrew word here can refer to any in-law. So if we combine it back with Numbers chapter 10, he is the brother-in-law of Moses, and Moses asked him to go along. But Judges 4.11, now the son and the children of Hobab had separated themselves from the Kenites, pitched his tent near the terebith tree at Zahanim, which is besides Kedish. And so it appears that Hobab stayed with the children of Israel, was near the children of Israel, even claimed part of the inheritance. So Israel departs, verses 33 through 34. They departed from the mountain of the Lord on the journey of three days, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them for the three-day journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day and went out from the camp. So probably at night, the cloud would settle down. The people would pitch uh, camp. In the morning, the cloud would rise up for three days. This kind of the test run journey. Uh, they would do this each day. And the cloud would settle down at night. The cloud would arise in the morning. They'd get on their journeys and then uh, return back at night. 
Around 39 years later, as Moses prepared the second generation to enter the promised land, he reminded them of their parents' rebellion. But he said to them in Numbers 1, 32 and 33, Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out the place for you to pinch your tents, to show you the way which you should go in the fire by night and the cloud by day. So 39 years later, 38 plus years later, Moses reminding the second generation, you remember how God guided you and your parents through the wilderness. So we close out in two verses where Moses said, whenever the ark set out, Moses said, rise up, O Lord, let your enemies scatter and let those who hate you flee before you. And when the ark rested, Moses would say, return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. So whenever the glory cloud rose up by day or night, whether it was a cloud or a fire, Moses would respond with this prayer for Yahweh to rise up and to return. In doing so, Moses reminded Israel that Yahweh was the one directing their path. Additionally, Moses' prayer conveyed two key biblical themes. First, Yahweh is victorious over his enemies. Second, Yahweh's mercy and grace is always toward the children of Israel. We get a reflection of this in Psalm 68, verses 1 through 4, where it says, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them, be, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to the Lord, sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah. And rejoice before him. So that name Yah only appears three times in the Old Testament. Y-A-H. Now we call the Lord Yahweh. It's the tetragram nation of the Y-H-W-H. No vowel sounds though. And so the way they get the Yahweh or Jehovah is they take the vowel sounds of Adonai and insert the vowels in between. But here's one of the rare places where we may have the right letter, that vowel sound, because it's given to us by his name, Yah. And so we have the Y, an A, and an H, but we don't have the rest of the letters there. But it could be a key that A is correct in the name of God. But only a key. Now, Dave, I tried to use that on Jehovah's Witness once. <laughs> and in his Bible, they spell it J-A-H. So Jehovah, they put the J, not the Y in there. So be selective. I just taught him the Jehovah's Witness. I taught him something. I'm only picking on Dave because he had Jehovah's Witness come over to his house. So he's been working on it. So when making plans, we need to ask the Lord. Actually, when making plans, we need to ask ourselves. Am I trying to lead Jesus or am I allowing Jesus to lead me? 
So I think sometimes we try to make plans and then we ask the Lord to bless our plans. And the Lord's thinking, I didn't have anything to do with that. And maybe sometimes in spite of our misdirection, God blesses us. But better to wait upon the Lord for his direction to pray like Moses. Rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies scatter. Let those who hate you flee before you. Or return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel or the many thousands who love you. In fact, this sounds like a good way for us to start each day by asking Jesus to go before us at the beginning of our days and then at the end of our days to say, Lord, thank you for this day and now give me rest this night. So Father, we thank you for this your word you've given us this evening. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to teach us through your word, that it would continue to bless us And Lord, we pray for the blessing of your spirit upon the churches here in the United States. Lord, we need a move of revival in our hearts and in this land. We pray, Lord, that you would begin that revival in us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Sunday we are doing our 34th lesson in our chronological journey through the Gospels. And we're in the Synoptic Gospels and Matthew, Mark, and Luke all teach. I have three points and Matthew, Mark, and Luke all cover the three points. So I'll get to pick which one I want to teach from. And I may teach from Matthew, Mark, and Luke and just kind of shift around there. But this is key for understanding the parables We will learn this coming Sunday of Jesus beginning to teach in parables. And he not not only begins to teach in parables, he explains the first parable to us and gives explanation of why he started teaching in parables. So this is like the parable of the sower. It is key for understanding, uh, gaining understanding in all the parables. And we'll be looking at that, the parable of the sower, this coming Sunday. Let's stand together. I'd just like to say if anyone's listening on WLGS radio, if uh, you're watching through social media or at a later time and you do have questions regarding faith, I would encourage you to email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. And I pray that God would bless you and that he would keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.